So some of you took me seriously and contacted Marion this week after last week's sermon and, uh, and began asking questions. Some of you told me last week when you left, and I've heard throughout the week, I'm confused. Pastors don't like to hear that. Uh, just tell you, that was a little disheartening for me um, that there was confusion. But then I was hearing from others of you. It's all so crystal clear now. Now I'm really confused. What do I do? Do I try to delve back in? Do I continue to move forward? And then I thought, it's a series. Um, and so we're, we're trying to chip away at, at the idea of heaven. What is it? Where is it? What will it be like? How do I get there? All those sorts of things. And so this morning, what I want to, what I want to do is I want to try and pick up a little bit on where we were last week and to continue to develop the idea. So last week, here's what, here's what we were trying to do. Stay with me. Last year, we were trying to answer the question, what happens when I die? What happens when I die? Where do I go? Do I just go into the grave with my body and lay there asleep until the return of Christ? Or does something else happen? And the case that we tried to make is that something else happens. That something else has been referred to down through church history, we talked about, as purgatory or soul sleep, neither of which the Protestant church has picked up. Out of the Reformation, the idea, the understanding of the Reformers, and the understanding that our Westminster Confession lays out for us in chapter 32 is that upon our death, those who are in Christ go to be with God. So to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Those who die and are not in Christ go, and and I don't mean this flippantly, but they are separated from God and their residence is hell. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what we hold to. Now, this morning, what we want to begin to to look at is... and, and as we talked about that, I, I gave it a title, and I said it's often been referred to as the intermediate state. That's what threw a lot of you into confusion. The intermediate state, what in the world is that? That is what we, that's the theological sort of a term that we've given to it, because it's not our final destination. So some people talk about it. Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven, which if you want to read a really good, very thorough work that has come out of late that's very accessible, Randy Alcorn's book on heaven is a great work. I think some of you may have done it in a home fellowship group. The intermediate state is also referred to sometimes as the present heaven. And that's where our bodies go. So when we referenced last week Hebrews chapter 12, And we talked about when we gather together here, 
those who have gone before us are gathering together there, and together the two mingle. That is the present heaven, if you will. It is not our final destination. Our final destination is the new heavens and the new earth. That is where all this ends for those who die in Christ. The new heavens and the new earth. And so this morning I titled the sermon, The Earth and You, A Match Made in Heaven. And what I want us to do is to begin to think about that new heaven and hopefully to lay out the case for the new heavens and the new earth for you. Because somehow, and unfortunately we love the hymn, we, we all love that, a lot of us love that old hymn when the roll is called up yonder, but I think it contributes a little bit to this idea that we're just going to go away to the never, never, netherland over there. And when the roll is call, called up yonder up there, we'll all go there, and that'll be where we are, somewhere out there. And that out there, as one author kind of describes it, is a very non-earthy sort of place. It's a place that's unfamiliar to us. It's a place that's disembodied. It's a place that's foreign. Uh, There's no time or space, and everything is just sort of static and strange and unknown. There's nothing to do but float in the clouds. No learning or discovery, just an instant, complete knowledge. Boring. A loss of desire. An absence of the terrible. But as we work our way through the Bible, and and here's what I would tell you. This part of our story, the new heavens and the new earth, is, is wrapped and folded and woven into all of Scripture. So unfortunately, what I can't do for you is, I can't go and say, See right here it says, because what Scripture is saying from beginning to end is that that is the destiny of God's people. That we will one day be dwelling in the new heavens and the new earth with the new Jerusalem at the center of it all and God the Father there and the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the earth there and our worship will be directed there and there will be so much more. And that includes that the terrible things will pass away. But it also means, this author went on to identify, that the new earth is familiar. It's earthy. We will have bodies, resurrected bodies. Something like the bodies we have now. It will be home. All of the comforts of home with all of the Innovations of an infinitely creative God. It retains the good that we know and the promises that we have held on to and more like it. It is full of time and space. It is dynamic. God is there to worship. The new heavens and the new earth are there for us to rule and reign on. Work is to be accomplished. Friends are to be enjoyed. There will be an eternity of learning and discovery and it will be fascinating and full of fulfillment and desire 
And it won't be just the absence of terrible things. It will be the presence of the wonderful things that we now long for. And would you be surprised if I told you that we've already been there? Well, not us, but our first parents. All of this began at creation. That's why Marion read for us out of Genesis chapter 2. And if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. Genesis chapter 2 sets up for us this picture. This picture which is completed and brought full circle when you get to Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22 and you begin to read about rivers that are flowing and, and trees of life with, with harvest of fruit that goes on and on and on and on in perfect abundance. You see, our story begins at creation because there in the story of creation we see this, this perfect man and this perfect woman that are created. And, and there was a garden, verse 8, that was planted. And there was a man and he was put there. He had been formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees and they grew out of the, the ground and, the, and they were pleasing to the eye and they were good for food. Verse 10, there was a river watering the garden flowing from Eden. And it separated into four headwaters. It was lush. It was green. It was beautiful. And, and Adam and Eve had this relationship with God and it was perfect. And they interacted with one another. And I have any idea how that happened and what it looked like. But what we know is that's what the Bible tells us. Is that God and Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship. And Adam and Eve's relationship was perfect. And everything was there. And Adam had a job. A J-O-B. And it wasn't bad. It was good. He loved it. And he worked. Work is good. You and I were made. We were created to work. And God gave us the job of working and ruling over His creation. More than that, He gave us the job of extending that garden out into everywhere. And He gave us the job of multiplication. Of multiplying images of Him in the world. They were to be fruitful and they were to multiply and they were to cover the earth. And that is a theme that is picked up again in in the New Testament quite clearly as we are remade after the image of Christ. And that image stamped upon us allows us as we go out throughout the world to display Him to those around us. Remember, we are living stones built together, the dwelling place of God, so that everyone would see and know Him. But all of that began in the creation and in the garden where things were perfect before the fall. Adam worked and had a job and he did things and he explored and he, and he named animals and, and he was creative and all of those things were happening and, and it all happened before the fall. 
God created this world. And He created man. And He put us here. And He breathed life into us. And He gave us a job here. Before the fall. And that was His intention. Man and God. What is Revelation 21 and 2 tell us? Dwelling where? Separately? God in heaven. Man down here. Heaven, this glorious, amazing place. Man down here roughing it out in the, you know, the slums. No. At the end of all things, heaven and earth joined together. And God and man together. Again. At long last. Now, we're, we're jumping ahead, but I want you to think in your mind as you think about that creation story, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 22, think in your mind Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22 because those two arc together, the one fulfilling the other. And everything was created and gave glory to God and man had dominion and we had stewardship over the earth. And then... Genesis chapter 3 happened. And man fell. And when man fell, he didn't just fall, but God cursed creation too. Look over verses 17 and 18. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. And it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. One of the products of the fall is the fall of this creation. Is a frustration, if you will, of the creation. The creation did nothing in itself but, it, but as a part of our fall, creation itself now is not as God intended it. But exactly the way that you bear, you and I bear the imprint of God, right? We're made what? In His image. So this creation is not wholly unlike it was when He created it. It doesn't bear His image. But it bears the image, the image he intended for it to have. And so, in some respects, the earth that God made and the heavens that God made still have an earthly and heavenly quality that God intended for them to have. Do the fields produce thorns? Absolutely. Do you get chiggers when you walk out into the weeds? Yes. Is it as God intended? Yes and no. It's thwarted. It it isn't, you know, I, I imagine blackberry bushes without thorns. Rose bushes without thorns. And you see, beautiful things, but without the cursed part. Somehow. And we're going to get there. And that's why Paul can say, if you want to, one of the feedbacks that I, that I did get was Scripture, which resonates in my heart, that you would ask me to prove it. 
So let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let's begin in verse 18. So here is the idea. The idea is not only did Jesus come to rescue you, and not only at the second coming does Jesus come and rescue you, but there's more to the story. And Paul gives us that, verse 18 of Romans chapter 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to what? Frustration. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be what? Liberated from bondage to decay and brought in to the same glorious freedom as the children of God have. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now let me ask a question. Why in the world is creation groaning in pains of childbirth? Because it too longs what? To be delivered from the curse. Now, let me ask you, just why? Why does he tell us creation is longing? Why does he tell us that creation is, is hoping to be freed from this curse? So that it can just be done away with? So when the roll is called up yonder, we'll all fly away and go away from here? As, as earth is eagerly awaiting and anticipating our redemption so that it is freed, now we're just gonna, the roll is called up yonder and we're all gonna fly away into the clouds and the earth's just gonna poof, be gone? No. That doesn't make, I mean, it just doesn't make logical sense. And it doesn't make theological sense either because the Bible is really telling us that the story is much grander and much bigger than that. But right now, it's languishing. When I was a kid, <clears throat> my dad retired from the Air Force in the early 80s, 81, 82. And we went back to small town Missouri, southeast Missouri, a little place called Marble Hill. My mom and dad grew up in Marble Hill, and the uh, population is still about 800. That's about what it was. And so we moved back to Marble Hill, Missouri, and my mom and dad, having sold a house in Southern California in 1982, we moved back to this little small town. And they wanted to buy an old house, and we were going to live there. And, you know, you know how things are when you're retiring at 38. Um, and, and so they had these plans. So we moved back, and my mom and dad found this house that had been vacant for 20 years. Right? The story, the story was that two sisters who had been widows had lived together in the house and then within six months of each other had passed away. And they had, between the two of them, they had one daughter in their marriages. And, and that, and the prop, sorry, you have to say that today. The property was 
was in the will for that daughter. She lived in South Carolina. She was independently wealthy. She had absolutely no desire for that house. And so for 20 years, this beautiful home sat. When my mom and dad drove up on it, it it sat in town and it had about an acre of land in front of it. You couldn't even see the house. 20 years. A lot grows in 20 years. And the fence, the, the beautiful white fence that had gone around it, was there was, you know, maybe a rotten picket here and there. And it was completely grown up. And the paint had all just sloughed off the house and the roof was... And, and, then, and then they opened it up and they went inside. And there was mildew everywhere. Everything that was in the house when the second sister passed away was still in the house. That house for 20 years had languished under the fall. And then the, and then the job of restoration began. And they cut the yard and they tore the fence down and they, they had a guy come in and he, incidentally, they bought the house for $18,000. At a full basement, hardwood floors throughout, three bedrooms downstairs, my dad totally redid the upstairs. It was an amazing home, right? Beautiful um, wood beams around the house. It was an incredible home, but you had to see past the, the fact that it had languished for 20 years and nobody could see it. But there it was. Bones, beautiful bones underneath. And so my mom and dad went in and they redid the entire house and the, the kitchen was you know, gutted and, and, but the bones were good and they put in amazing stuff. And, 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 and in a sense, in a sense, that's, that's what we're looking forward to as we think about this world in which we live, right? That's a picture of the earth, if you will. From Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Revelation chapter 20, what do we have? We have, you know, Cain to, to the Tower of Babel. We have Noah. We have Abraham's plan. What a story. We, we worked our way through Genesis. We know what a train wreck that family was, right? And then we had Pharaoh and we had Egypt and we had captivity. And then we had Joseph and his brothers and David and Bathsheba. We had Job. We have Ecclesiastes. All reminding us of what a difficult travail this is. How, what a struggle life is. And we see the wreck of sin and humanity and the struggles, right? And you and I could all throw into that little litany what? Our own story, our own train wrecks, our own issues, because that's where we're at. That's the struggle, and it's real. And then we find out, Jim, thank you so much. If you were here for Jim, you're getting ready to get a repeat. And then Jim, and Jim arrived on the scene, and then Jesus... And then Jesus arrives on the scene, and what does He announce? The kingdom has come. And, and, and people are bewildered, and, and the, the disciples want to rush in, and they want to make Him a king. And He says, no, no, no. 
It's inaugurated. It's here. It's the now and the not yet. It's begun, but it's not complete. And it's on what? This earth. Remember, God sent Jesus down into the world, our world, this world, and he lived among us. And John tells us that he tabernacled among us. He made his dwelling here. And then he died, and he was put into a grave, and he was resurrected with a new body. And, and Paul tells us all through 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what an amazing first fruits that is for us. And then he showed himself, and on and on. But why would God's kingdom come here? Why would he establish it here to this battered, beat up, broken world? Because it matters. And the answer that is inadequate, that is often given, is that the reason Jesus came here is to save you. And that's it. He came to save you and He's going to suck you up into heaven when it's all over and when the roll is called up yonder. And that's it. You're going to go to heaven. Instead, Jesus Jesus taught us to pray. How? On my cheat sheet. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Why not just take us all to heaven? Because earth matters. Because this all matters. Because this is still all a part of the equation and part of the plan. He didn't come just to pull you up into heaven. Instead, He prayed and He taught us to pray that His kingdom would come, His will would be done here. Look, God intended not only to buy you back, He intended to buy it back. Listen to a couple of passages. If you want to jot them down, you can look at them later. Isaiah 65, verse 17. Behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. Isaiah 66, 22. If you, if you want to just read Isaiah 60, Isaiah 60 onward, you'll get really this full picture. But 66, 22 is the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure forever before me, declares the Lord. So will the name of your descendants endure. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. The home, Peter says, of the righteous. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, there's a lot of question back and forth. Is he going to remake this one, or is he going to burn this one up and make another one? And if you look through the preponderance of Scripture, I think, I think that it favors somehow a recreation of this earth. God has a plan. And it isn't simply, listen, don't hear me say you and I are not imported and Jesus didn't come to rescue you from your sin. He absolutely did. But he came to do more than that. The picture's fuller than that. Are you with me? And, and, and it, it, it involves more than that. And so he sent Jesus into the world to save you and to unleash us 
as His agents of change to, to go into all the earth, into all the world, and to begin to establish that new creation. That's why what you and I do matters. If, if none of it mattered, then just forget it all. Right? Just use it up. Abuse it. Just use it for your own gain. But, but you see, there is a theology behind a good ecology. And that is this world matters and you and I on it matter and people matter, right? And so we are at this point participating, actively participating in the eventual renewal of all things because that's our hope, that's our longing. That's why Jesus comes and He heals diseases and and He goes on and on and, and He begins to push into that curse, if you will. And then... This plan finalizes in restoration, and we're going to finish here. The Bible lays out for us very frequently that the new earth, this, right, as we've already talked about, the heaven and the new earth that we long for and we talk about, all of that is, is restored. Listen to Peter. Let me just push the restoration theme a little. Here's Peter in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. This is his sermon, and we talked about it a while back. He said, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that He may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Verse 21. Heaven must receive Him until the time He comes for, until the time comes for God to restore Everything, as he promised long ago through the prophets. Restore everything? Yeah. Restore everything, beginning with you and me. But not ending there. Here's Jesus, Matthew chapter 19. This is, this is Matthew's account of Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. Uh, let's jump down. He's already talked with him. He's, he's found out several things about him. Jesus says in verse 28, Matthew 19, 28, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, and you have followed Me, you also will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who is, has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children, they will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Okay, so what does Jesus say? At the renewal of all things, I'm going to sit on a throne and you're going to sit on a throne and we're going to judge. And here's what throws you. What throws you is when you get down there and you said, and they will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And when you and I hear eternal life, we think the roll up called up yonder. But Jesus has already said, at the renewal of all things, I'll sit on my throne and you'll sit on twelve thrones and we will judge the twelve tribes of Israel. The word that Jesus uses there in verse 28 comes from two words which, when you put them together, technically mean new Genesis. Or, come back from death to life. At the new genesis of all things. Exactly the way you and I 
Think about it. Paul uses the same word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. What does he say? He says, you and I are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now let me ask. When you accepted Jesus and you became a new creation in Christ, did the substance of your person change? Your body? No. It means you were made right with God. It doesn't mean you suddenly were burned to a crisp and then a new one of you made. It means you were renewed. You're, you're a new creation in Christ. And if you can be a new creation in the Christ and be the same you, then can the earth be a new creation, a new earth, and be the same earth? I think so. Now, where are we, where are we headed? I, I hope I've made the case. Here's the case. The new case is you and I are headed not to an ethereal heaven, somewhere where the roll is called up yonder. There will be a roll called, and it will be down yonder, but we will ultimately be here. And, and the case that I'm making is we don't just go into the heavens, but we are destined for a new heaven and a new earth, which are joined together. That's what Abraham looked for. And I'm going to close with this. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And here, literally, literally, what I can tell you is this. If you begin reading your Bible with an eye to a new heavens and a new earth and a new creation, You'll see it everywhere. Because it is absolutely woven into the fabric of the story. It is the story. In Hebrews chapter 11, this is the by faith chapter. If you look down at verse 8, you get Abraham. By Abraham, by faith, Abraham was called to a place. We're going to end right here. He was called to a place where he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going the promised land. Nine, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country, and he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was, verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, what? Whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, Sarah... So, so there's your first reference. What was Abraham looking to? Was he just looking to Israel? No. He was looking to Israel, but he was looking beyond that land that God promised him. He was looking to a city whose foundations are not laid by man, but laid by God. Jump down to verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. How? Why were they still living by faith when they died if the land they were looking to was the promised land of Israel? Because that wasn't the final. That wasn't the end of the story. So they were all still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and they welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. 
People who say such things show that they are not looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. If you jump all the way down to verse 39, this is the final These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised since God planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And then he moves into chapter 12. Here's the reason that I take you there. I take you there because their journey is your journey and it's my journey. We look for the city to come. We, we are longing for that new Jerusalem. Within us, there is that desire that, that all of this would be sewed up. You and I long for that day. There's no more tears, no more separation, anxiety, no more problems, no more death. We long for that. We look for that. We know the pain of that. And so we, we are looking forward to that day. And that day is promised. But it's not a day in the, in the, By and by, it's a day that will happen when Christ returns and establishes the new heavens and the new earth. And you and I, our bodies raised, will be one and we will be there and we will worship God the Father and we will live on this earth, recreated, renewed, redone, home renovation project, magnificent. And it will be good. And something in you, something in you longs for all of that. If you know Christ, it is your hope. It's the hope that was set in you. Set in our parents all the way back in the garden. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. You're good to us. And this is a stretch admittedly for us as we think about how all of this comes together. How do you do all of this? And we don't know. The same way we know we are here today standing upon terra firma. Created ex nihilo out of nothing. Father, we know you can recreate and redo and make wonders out of a beautiful place that we already live yet languishing in sin. Father, we would ask, give our hearts the longing and desire for all that you have for us in the new heavens and the new earth. Give us eyes to see it and ears to hear that good news that will actually bring us all the way home. We pray it in Jesus' name.